Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. On today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the game Sushi Go. Sushi Go is a card-passing game designed by Phil Walker-Harding and published by GameRight in 2013. Sushi Go is for two to five players, and a typical game takes 15 minutes to play. Enjoy the episode! How you doing today, Spencer? I'm doing really good. I'm, cool. uh, I'm full of sushi. You and I actually just sat down and had a couple of rolls of sushi. Yeah, we did. That was really good. Was Over good. at Dib, if you're in Chicago, go to Dib. They've got sushi and Thai food, actually. Yeah, it's interesting, those two things. Uh, yeah. But, man, it's that. It hit the spot. When we, were, when we were reading the stuff for this podcast, <laughs> I just I couldn't help but need to eat sushi. It had been too long anyway, and so this was kind of just the catalyst of, like, all right, let's sit down. Let's get some sushi in our mouths. And then let's talk about uh, it. Yeah, no, it's a tough thing to start reading about any sort of food mm-hmm. <laughs> and not think, I need this in my body right now. Exactly. But, yeah. Once and we then, get an idea in our heads, too. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the other thing about Dib is they also had their soft-shell crab, which I don't get very often. So oh, good. That was really that's, tasty. That's, that's a Thai food staple. That's not mm-hmm. even a sushi staple. That's really good. There, yeah. I, I actually forgot to mention this to you earlier, but there's a, a burger place. It has my favorite burger in Chicago, Butcher and the Burger. But they also do alternative things, and it's very seasonal, but you can get a soft-shell crab burger. Like, all of the, mm-hmm. the, the patties essentially made of soft-shell soft crab. Uh, I didn't pull the trigger and buy it when I saw it, but... I'm just curious I how that works. Because soft-shell crab, like, if you have a soft-shell crab sandwich, right. it's your soft-shell crab sticking out of, like, two buns. It looks like a big spider yeah. that you just squished in your... I imagine it's more or less the same thing. Oh. Unless they, like, pulverize it down into a patty. That's what I'm curious. would be really kind of which, weird. Yeah, I don't but... think I'd like that. Maybe they, maybe they do. Maybe that's what the, that's the whole point of it. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I didn't order it. Mm. I got just a delicious burger. I'd have to try it. It's probably, probably one of my favorite foods in the entire world. If I had to have one last meal, it'd be soft-shell crab. Really? Oh, yeah. That's wow. so good. How you so doing? Good. I'm good. I'm very good. I am. It's freezing here today, but I'm. Uh, it's cold. But I'm good. Uh, it's nice and warm in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm okay with that. And belly filled with sushi. And uh, I'm ready to talk about some some actual sushi. Yeah. Wait. Why did we Why did we eat sushi? Why are we talking about sushi so much? Oh well, what I don't know if you've heard of this today? little game. It's called a sushi go. Sushi go. Yeah. Sushi go. Uh, Sushi Go, uh, fun little game. It's really easy to teach and really easy to play, um, but it's it's got a really neat game mechanic, and uh, you have uh, your hand of sushi cards. They are adorable, by the way. Adorable these little pieces of sushi that have <laughs> cute faces that are smiling or sleeping. They they're, want you to eat them. They're completely unaware of the fate that is about to <laughs> fall upon them in the near future. But you uh, you put down the card, and each card you can get points from depending on what type of card it is. Sometimes you have to have sets, sometimes you have to have an individual card. But then the game mechanic, the main game mechanic, is you put down the card you want from the hand that you have, and then after you have that hand or that card in front of you, you pass your entire hand to the next person. Yeah, so this is, this is sort of like you get a hand dealt to you, you pick the one card, you're like, I'm going for the sashimi build. And you take the sashimi card, you put it down, upside down, Everyone reveals what they kept, so you can now see what people are keeping around the table, and you pass the, the hand around. and So now you have totally different cards, and you have to figure out, all right, how do these cards with work with kind of the general plan that I had set out? You don't want to spread yourself thin and try and get a bunch of everything, because 
You're not going to score points that way. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty simple to understand once you actually start playing it. But what's really neat is the strategy involved when you start seeing what the person in front of you has, and you can almost like screw them over by, okay, I see that they're trying to get a match with these little Maki rolls. Mm-hmm. I'm going to grab a Maki roll so they don't get that and get more points than me. Exactly. So it's a really neat... A lot of depth goes into it, but very simple gameplay. It's it, People get devious, too. I remember we played this. <laughs> it was a little while ago when we last played it with a, kind of a big group. But, yeah, it, it gets cutthroat because, you know, you might be trying to be the Maki king, and then suddenly you're looking around and seeing, wait a minute, what's Mike doing over there? Is he... Is that a Maki in front of him? <laughs> oh, no, 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 Mike. Yeah, and then you can't, like, I mean, there's only so, there's, like, a limited amount of cards, so if you see somebody else start building up one type, you realize, I don't think there's enough to go around that I can build that same type. Yeah. Or somebody might be holding on to them, and it hasn't gotten back around to you because they haven't played it, so. Yeah, so you have to kind of adapt based off of a lot of unknown variables yeah. as these uh, these hands get dealt around. Yeah, and then you have like wasabi that you can pop on there to get you extra points mm-hmm. <laughs> and what chopsticks for like a 2 for 1 sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really it's a really simple I think it's a really fun party game. You have a group of friends hanging out uh, and it's just a, it's a great way to pass the time. The cards are adorable, the art is just it, Oh, it makes me so happy whenever I look at it. <laughs> it's so colorful, but not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very simple uh, as far as art goes, and it's it's just adorable. It's really fun to look at and, and wonderful to play with. Um, with that being said, uh, I think to, to learn a little bit more about sushi, we're going to talk about um, the history of where sushi came from and, um, and how it got even to America. That's right. Uh, what's... What's this sushi all about? How did we how did we get to this place where we are now looking at these cards with these smiling maki rolls and uh, tempura, you know, the sashimi? <laughs> how, how did we get to this place? Have we? How long has it been around? How long have we been eating it? Everything like that. But first, I think we need to clarify what sushi is. That's actually a great point. Yeah. Sushi, um, a lot of people think, okay, sushi is raw fish. And it's not. Sushi is the rice, the fermented rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, that the raw fish actually gets right on top of it. And sashimi is that raw fish just by itself. Right. So when you have it combined, like if you had a little ball of rice and then a carefully placed piece of sashimi on top, that's considered nigiri. Right. A little bit of vocabulary up ahead of time. Yes. It's good to get that all settled. Then you've got those rolls that are now very popular. Uh, and those are the maki rolls. So that's the... Sheet of nori, the seaweed, placed down, and then you put down rice in the fish and the kind of the fillings, and you tightly roll that up and cut it up. That's a maki roll. So these are the sorts of variations of this, what is now kind of the umbrella term of sushi at this point in time. Mm-hmm. All right, so now you know what sushi is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where did it come from? Where did it come from? That's a very good question. Now, there are a lot of different... Um, theories of where it came from, Mm -hmm. and a popular one uh, is that uh, there was an elderly woman who... Oh, (laughs) yeah. There was an elderly woman who would hide her pots of rice in osprey nests from thieves uh, who would try to steal her rice. And over time, uh, she then took her her pots and then found that the the rice that she had started to ferment, Mm -hmm. but then it also had pieces of the osprey's food in it, which was the raw fish, Mm -hmm. and that's how sushi came to be. 
That's obviously not true. <laughs> ospreys wouldn't possibly be able to do it. It must have been some other bird. No I know. Doubt. How do ospreys know how to roll seaweed? Fun fact about an osprey, though, <laughs> it is my Patronus. Is it really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it is. I had no idea. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I'm a Ravenclaw, and an osprey is my Patronus. Oh, my I am, gosh. I am Birdman. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's a fun fact. Wow. You created sushi. I did. Yeah. I don't get nearly enough credit for it, too. The royalties just haven't been coming in either. I know. You should have should have uh, TM'd that. So, um, okay, you're right. It can't possibly be this Osprey thing. No. So where did, where did we first start seeing sushi pop up then in, in kind of history? Where are we seeing it first mentioned? Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. uh, where, where they, I guess, where it all began. It's not so much where, I mean where sushi that you hear about nowadays came from. Um, but they would take, uh, they would cure their meat and fish and then they would wrap it in the rice. Right. Um, to, for, to protect it for freshness and everything, keep it for freshness. And this is just a way of preserving all their meat. Um, and right, because they would throw that rice away after the fact. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, and but they would just leave it there for months, mm-hmm. so they could they could hold on to it because they didn't have refrigerators or anything like that. So they just let those sit. Then they would, yeah, obviously they would eat their eat the meat and the fish, and they throw away the rice, and they wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, we're seeing this sort of thing kind of really being mentioned in like the second century in China, is where we're, especially we're seeing the sorts of first mentions of this sort of preservation system using cured meat and the fermentation from rice. Mm-hmm. But as you can see, we haven't really come anywhere close to what we think of sushi yet, but this is kind of the, the first way that we start to see the evolution of it. Yeah. Um, but then uh, as this uh, method of uh, for, uh, keeping your, your meat and your fish fresh, um, we're spreading through everywhere, spread through China, um, and then eventually got to Japan, the Japanese started... Um, uh, fermenting the rice with sake or rice wine, um, if you didn't know what sake was, and uh, and it would it would it would sit in there and it would actually help the fermentation process mm. or the the um, no no I'm sorry it would it would just stay in there uh, and they would since they fermented it and everything it made the rice taste different and they would actually uh, try the rice and they realized oh hey this is this is pretty good this mm. has been sitting with this meat and everything. And this rice is actually pretty good, so they are started eating the rice with their meat and yeah, fish. Yeah, and that was kind of traditionally how the Japanese ate their food anyway. For a long time, they had mm-hmm. always the seafood is such a huge staple in Japanese cuisine, and that rice and seafood had been it's like the meat and potatoes of that culture. Like that's just two things that they would eat together all the time. So it made sense that they kind of cast away the previous methodology of throwing away the rice and decided, well, no. We can eat this rice too. We're gonna get something from it, and we can make it taste a little bit better. So mm-hmm. why not? Why not do that? The crazy thing is, though, it took them about a thousand years to decide to start doing that, because <laughs> you know this that original Chinese method that we talked about hit Japan in about the seventh century, and it wasn't until about the seventeenth century that we started seeing the rice wine vinegar being used as a fermentation process on the rice. Yeah, because they used the rice wine originally, and then. And that was just helping the, the the cured meats. And then they would add the vinegar that a thousand years later, which would aid the process and actually ferment everything quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and they realized, oh, hey, we could do this a lot quicker. We can have this delicious rice with our delicious meats uh, or fish um, a lot quicker. So, yeah, which is 
brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and they they kind of it took too long. Oftentimes, the, the the sushi that was being made at this time period is called like the naminare method, which is essentially they they would wrap the fish in seasoned rice, and they would do it was a much shorter fermentation time. Now it wasn't the instantaneous eating of sushi that we have kind of seen to come nowadays, but it was a rapidly short, like within the day, there would be the fermentation process would kind of go forward and then they would eat it. And so these sushi stands started popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like they would be these street vendors who would serve sushi using this new methodology. And because the naminare method requires still some time for fermentation, they would actually hang up signs that would say like, you know, the sushi's being prepared, you know, the fermentation's going on, come back at, like, X time, and you can actually eat at that point in time. So, <laughs> like, you weren't actually able to eat it right away, like we, as we've seen it before, but it was rapidly faster than the months-long process of that kind of original method that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then I think in, it was in the 1900s, those Tokyo food stalls, that's when they started, um, I think there, uh, there, there, I think there was a, a story about a guy who who had his uh, his... So one of his customers come up and he was like, I need this fast. I need this mm-hmm. quick. And so what he did was he took the rice, put in a little ball and put some sushi on or put the uh, fish on it, on the sushi ball and uh, gave that to him. And it started taking off like wildfire and a lot of other sushi stalls started doing this. Um, and it got really, really popular. Yeah, that was Hanaya Yohei. Uh, was the, he, he's the oftentimes credited as creating that Ido style or what we now call nigiri, the finger mm-hmm. You know, fingers of rice with the sashimi laid on top. He was kind of the, the, the creator of that methodology. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, it just spread because now you could get your seafood or your, your sushi fix instantly. Mm-hmm. And they would just, you know, as fast as it took the, the chef to prepare it, and then suddenly they would hand it to you and you could just pop it in. For the businessman on the go. Exactly. And then you get to your morning yoga class. And, you know, at that time then, because of the way that it was being sold, sushi was mostly just thought of as like, fast food or as a snack. It wasn't really a sit down, this is a meal that we're going to enjoy sort of situation because it, it was in those food stands. So people would just kind of like drop on by, grab a couple of nigiri, eat it on the way, and then that was kind of as far as it had been seen. Mm-hmm. But then they started making it into restaurants because it got so popular uh, that they wanted you to come in and sit down and enjoy like a full meal. Of this, and another reason for that is because of sanitation purposes. <laughs> if they're going to be serving raw fish immediately, rather than like preserving it through the fermentation process, they needed a much more controlled and sanitary place to do that. And so, if you're going to serve nigiri, if you're going to serve raw raw uh, raw seafood of any sort, you got to have like a kitchen or something. And you know, the invention of the refrigerator and everything like that allows this to become even. Uh, an easier process, but you can't just have that basket of raw fish just, just sitting there, there all day. <laughs> and uh, oh wait, which one do you want? Do you want the oh, no underneath the baldy one? I got gotcha. the local. <laughs> the local dog comes by and grabs the basket. You got to chase the dog and get your fish. Get the fish back from his mouth. But uh, yeah, so it was this this migration then from the stands into the restaurants that kind of established sushi as a meal, like a, a thing that you would actually sit down and it was an experience at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw something really interesting about the spread of the nigiri style, that Edo style. So Edo is what we now call Tokyo. Um, and the reason that style spread so much was because of an earthquake. So there was this massive earthquake in 1923 
And so a lot of people actually left Tokyo after that earthquake, and they spread all over the place. And they brought the nigiri-style sushi with them because it was the sort of thing that was kind of easy to to take that idea and spread it around. And so that's (laughs) why that particular variety of sushi kind of became as widespread as it does. Like, some good came from that uh, that great (laughs) earthquake. Yeah, see what I did there? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, speaking of spreading and, and going all over the place, uh, eventually it did come to America, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a man, um, uh, Noritoshi Kanai, um, and he had a Jewish business partner named Harry Wolf. They opened uh, Kawafuku in Los Angeles, and that was in 1966, and they did that to try to bring, and that really was like, I, I, they, a lot of people said that there were other sushi places that opened before that in America, but they were the ones who really brought sushi to America to get people used to the idea of eating raw fish, mm. and um, because obviously Americans in like the 50s and 60s were not open to that kind no. of thing, and so one of the ways that they did that was they created the California Roll. Um, mm-hmm. And so they have the avocado and your cucumbers and sometimes imitation crab meat. Sure. Um, and so there's no technically raw fish in there. And so people got used to the idea of eating this rice with this seaweed and all this, uh, all these veggies and whatnot in there. It's so, it's so fascinating to me that it was 50 years ago that that basically <laughs> no, happened. Like, would... In my mind, as I was looking through this, you know, before I read any of this stuff, I had assumed sushi had been around for at least a lot longer than that. Like tapestries in, with, like, people eating right. sushi, you would think. But, like, in America, I fi- you know, I figured it had been around at least a little bit longer than 50 years. So that's kind of, that was one of the more surprising things that yeah. I, I noticed. It just, like like you said, there there was no doubt there were sushi restaurants and sushi stands in America before that. But, like, the first kind of big push happening about 50 years ago is just that blows my mind yeah to assimilate it into american culture which it really is like i mean you think i mean just as fried chicken is like you think well that's american but but sushi is still very like you think about it and you're like i mean we're all melting pot and so we have all these different food kind of places and sushi is a regular staple anywhere you go and you will always find it somewhere in a city um especially in the cities for sure um, but uh, but it spread in L.A. pretty pretty big, and actually, uh, Robert De Niro is credited for bringing it to New York. No way. Yeah, there's a place called Nobu, which opened in L.A., okay. and he loved it so much. He was always in New York, and there wasn't a lot of sushi places in New York. There was obviously sushi places, but he was the one to bring big sushi to New York. He's credited as <laughs> no that. No way. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. One more reason to love De Niro. <laughs> love that De Niro. Mm. That's, that's bullseye in here. Yep. <laughs> don't even don't even need to hear it. Just look at my face. So it's spread. It's everywhere now. It's everywhere. It's a it's an interesting history to see its its transformation from a a method of fermentation and preservation to kind of a very far flung from where it began. Yeah. It's like months long process where you're eventually throwing it's away like a rice. Year, and just I think eat, I read yeah. it somewhere. And just eating this cured meat that you've kind of held on to, to now, you know, this intricate process of preparing the rice and then mm. finding the, the, the raw fish and, you know, preparing it just so. Like, it, it's really is an it art perfectly, now. yeah. It really is. And so, I mean, we get some of those rolls, and they're gorgeous, and yeah. they're plated perfectly. And that's also a huge other thing about, like, like the sushi presentation. Have you ever made your own sushi? Yeah, yeah, we have. Oh, that's right. We, we made our own sushi birthday, here. That's right. Well, Tyler's birthday, yeah. Oh, yeah, Tyler's birthday. Everybody's birthday. We did it here. Yes, that's we funny. did. Uh, but um, In the studio. Yeah. 
but uh, but making your own uh, sushi rice, rice. Oh, yeah. making your own sushi rice was actually fairly easy. Mm-hmm. This like quick recipe that I I found that it only takes about an hour mm-hmm. to to get everything all mixed up. Um, I think normally a lot of the recipes take like twenty four hours, but I think. Um, what was his name? Alton Brown or Alton? Yeah, Alton Brown. Is it Alton Brown yeah. Food Network? You yeah, find he's, he's, go on the Food Network website. You can find his recipe, and it takes like an hour to make. As long as you get your rice vinegar and you get your your water and your 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 small little rice, uh, it ends up really quick, really tasty, yeah. good stuff. It's easy to mess up a sushi roll though, <laughs> very <easy. laughs> or a maki roll for sure. Uh, it's easy to add way too much rice there, but um. That's why I usually just go out and get yeah. <laughs> sushi. Let, let the professionals—they know what they're doing. <laughs> you're also—I feel like whenever you're in the store, like I can, because I've made sushi a couple times, but I—I I always just like, okay, well, I'll get the spicy mayonnaise, I'll—I'll I'll get the tuna, and that's it, right? That's all I need. <laughs> There's nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> what else would I need? I have like I—I've done a lot of sushi making, like you said, like the, making the maki rolls, mm-hmm. but I've never really tried my hand at this, like the idea of making nigiri or even like properly preparing sashimi or anything like that. I've always just been, like, my only experience making things on my own is a maki roll because I figure, all right, this bamboo mat is going to help me do the process. <laughs> it's like, it's just like building a sandwich and then I roll that sandwich up. Like, that. W- my brain can do that, but, like, thinking about, like, the delicate balance of, like, a certain amount of rice that has been heated with your hands and, like, you heat the the sashimi with your hands just a little bit to get the fat warmed up in the the right ratio of wasabi to whatever fish you know you've you've decided to serve is just it's it's a science and an art and so mm-hmm. these chefs are just incredible. I, I just like it's the cutting that I can't do like the precise exact mm-hmm. cutting that you need to put just the right amount of fish to where there's not too much fish and too much uh, sushi on there, uh, and it's just an absolute perfect balance that I can't get my head around. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I can't do yet. I think I need to go do like a proper sushi making class. That's not just yeah. like rolling your own roll. Right. That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. That's our next trip. Next business trip. Next business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can we can file that one off in the business. Yeah, they can use the company one. card. Every time we get sushi from now mm-hmm. on, it's written off in taxes. Exactly. <laughs> so that's that's a, a crash course on history of sushi. Uh, certainly, there's a whole great amount of you know, there's there's gaps there, and there's interesting stories between those gaps. But that gives you an idea of where it began and how we kind of got to where we are right now with sushi. Yeah, and what sushi is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, the the thing that I don't know a lot of, uh, which I think you corrected me on earlier today, was uh, sushi etiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I I didn't realize that there was there was a thing as sushi etiquette. I always thought that you just ate it. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the interesting thing with, you know, sushi, but also just a lot of uh, Asian cultures and, like, the, the dining experience is much more than just, here's the food that's in front of you now, eat the food. It's it's. Can I get you some more water? Okay, right. good. <laughs> or a Coke, yeah. more likely. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, an experience sort of thing. And so with that experience comes... I don't want to say hard and fast rules because, of course, at the end of the day, it's up to you how you want to eat these things. Like, there's no yeah. one that is going to come over and scold you for what you're doing unless you're in a terrible restaurant where people are just mean inherently. <laughs> but, like, you are allowed to eat however you want to eat. This is America. <laughs> <Damn> <laughs> but there are some kind of pointers that um, you you might want to observe, especially if you go to 
uh, and especially, you know, a nicer sort of sushi bar or, uh, you know, especially if you're going overseas, then, you know, try and, you know, show the respect towards them that they're showing to you by preparing this absolute delicacy. Uh, it's it's in your best interest to to be kind to them as well. Maybe they'll give you some extra uh, sashimi. That was something that I actually <laughs> saw come up a lot, actually, when when reading about etiquette, is that if you get in good with the sushi chef, they are more than happy to give you a better experience on whatever kind of course menu you've ordered or a little bit bonus. Like, you got to get you get in good with the cook because this is one of those rare times where you actually get to, if you want to, if you sit at the bar, like, you can actually interact with and talk with the sushi chef, and they're happy to talk to you. Like, they, they'll tell you about the process. They'll tell you about why they're cutting things the way they are. Because like, they're experts on it. Like, they want to talk about it. Right, exactly. And so this is one of those rare instances where you actually get to sit down and watch the chef cook your meal, and you can, like, pick his brain, his or her brain, while they're doing it. So <laughs> He's just uh, don't want to do it to a new guy who's cutting those things. Just leave me alone. I'm concentrating here. <laughs> trying to concentrate. Um, That's it. You do it yourself. <laughs> so this is by no means a comprehensive list, but here are some, some do's and don'ts for eating sushi. And I'll also preface this by saying that this is largely based off of if you are eating nigiri or sashimi. If you're eating maki rolls... Some of these rules do apply, but the maki roll, especially the crazy fusion Americanized maki rolls that exist out there nowadays, like, it's anything goes. It's the Wild West. You went to America, <laughs> you got American sushi, it, you could do whatever you want. But if you are sitting down at a really nice sushi bar and you know you're going to be eating, like, well-crafted nigiri and, you know, uh, and sashimi, then here's some things that you might want to consider. First things first, Wasabi. The wasabi that we get here is never real wasabi, yeah. by and large, 99% of the time, unless you're at a really fancy restaurant. It's horseradish, mustard, and... Some food coloring. Food coloring, yeah. yeah. More or less. Horse, um, wasabi on its own is actually like a, it's a root, and it can be brought to you like shaved or pu- put into a paste or in a various ways, but it's also extremely expensive compared to... Horseradish and horseradish. mustard and dye. <laughs> exactly. So wasabi... With nigiri and sashimi, you're actually not supposed to put any more wasabi on there. The The chef actually puts underneath between the, the bed of rice and the, the piece of fish is actually the amount of wasabi that the chef feels is appropriate for that particular cut of that particular fish. And so they've kind of given you what they believe to be the ideal way of eating that piece. And so... Well, you're not banned, of course, from putting more wasabi on. You're, you're encouraged to, to eat it as is prepared for you because that's how the chef has taken the time to prepare. Like, they think this is the way to do it. Of course, if you like a little bit more spice, then put a little bit more on. But uh, you don't want to be dunking tons of wasabi <laughs> onto all of your stuff just because you like spicy food. Or you think that sushi should taste like wasabi. <laughs> right. Um First things first, you know, you sit down and you grab your chopsticks, and unless they've given you plastic or metal chopsticks, you're most likely going to get wooden chopsticks. And a lot of people will rub the chopsticks together, especially the ends where you'll be picking up food, thinking that they're removing wood splinters and things like that. Uh, That's considered extremely rude, actually. Really? Yeah. Because what you're telling the restaurant is, I don't think you're gonna, I don't think you're willing to buy nice enough wooden chopsticks that, like, you're buying poor quality chopsticks. So that I need to do this because you're cheap. 
is what wow. you, the message you're sort of uh, passing on to them. Where, I wonder where that started. Probably America is probably where that started. Right. <laughs> wow. I thought that was like the thing you did. Some sort of like, you know, people have a fear that they're going to get like a wooden splinter stuck in the back of their throat yeah, or something. That's definitely an American thing. And <laughs> Right, exactly. That mentality. And instead it's, no, you've you've shown some uh, sign of disrespect not only to the chef but to the restaurant as a whole and saying, I don't trust you to buy the right stuff. So <laughs> Might as well just be let me take them the over bird. here. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about the chopsticks. We've talked about the wasabi. There are a couple other things on the table or on the plate that you get. Ginger. You get ginger, slices of ginger with your, your sushi. Ginger is not to be placed on top of sushi and eaten <laughs> alongside of it. Uh, and I watched you. <laughs> you watched me do it. I put it right on, and I looked at your face, and I was like, "Oh, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this." And then I took it off, ate it separately, and then ate my sushi. God, eating sushi with Spencer is quite the experience. Stressful. <laughs> it's very stressful. Um, the 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 ginger is actually there as a palate cleanser. That's what its purpose is. So if you order a bunch of different types of sushi, now this isn't necessarily as appropriate when you're ordering maki rolls because a maki roll is just going to be like six or eight pieces of the same thing. So you don't necessarily need a palate cleanser. Unless you have between... six or eight maki rolls in front of you. Right, unless you're getting a bunch of different rolls. Or but a boat, is that what they are? Yeah, you get yeah. those big uh, party boats full of sushi. <laughs> but when you order nigiri or sashimi, you're ordering individual pieces of a bunch of different types of fish. And so you actually want to cleanse your palate between the types of fish so that you're not getting influenced by the previous uh, piece that you had just eaten. So ginger is intended to be this palate cleanser rather than a topping on sushi. Mm. The other thing that you get uh, at, the, at the table or that is placed at the table usually is a, is a small cup and some soy sauce that you can use to kind of slightly enhance the flavor if you want. Uh, one thing that you shouldn't do, number one, is go over the top of the soy sauce. Just put a little tiny shallow pool at the very bottom. Like, you, you're not going to be dunking your sushi into this, or you ideally shouldn't be dump, uh, needing to dunk the sushi in here. The other thing is, and this is a rule that I broke earlier tonight, <laughs> is putting wasabi into the soy sauce and mixing it up into <laughs> some sort of weird black and green soup. Uh, definitely not supposed to do that, number one, because it breaks the wasabi rule uh, that I mentioned earlier, but uh, it's just in general not not a, a, an easy way for you to control the taste experience, and this is all very kind of delicate balances of ratios of certain types of food, and so when you just kind of haphazardly throw wasabi into soy sauce that you've kind of just poured in, then uh, you've thrown the whole thing <laughs> just into chaos. <laughs> So if you are going to use soy sauce, uh, you know, if you're going to dip, uh, especially with nigiri, you, if you're going to dip nigiri in soy sauce, you actually dip it fish side down. You don't want to dip the rice side in for two reasons. Uh, the rice is going to, number one, absorb soy sauce a lot faster than a fish is going to. So if you dip rice side down, it's going to just soak up all that soy sauce. And you're probably going to get more than... More you than you want. actually need, mm-hmm. and yeah, more than you want, unless, like you said, you want your sushi to taste like wasabi or to taste <laughs> like soy sauce. Um, you dip uh, fish, th- fish side down and then eat it. Um, now, of course, that doesn't, it's hard to do with a maki roll, so with a maki roll, really just don't put like the entire flat side of it down because so, it's just going to soak it all out. You know, dip a little, little side of the thing in and enhance your your flavor just a little bit of soy sauce it's all about balance and uh, moderation 
Now, I, I have a couple questions while you're going through this because, I mean, unless you, uh, I know you probably still have a couple more things that you have on your, your etiquette list. Sure. But as we were eating, I wanted to ask you certain things, but sure. I was going to uh, wait. But um, when you eat a piece of maki, is, do you, do you, should you eat the whole thing in one, like, mouthful? Yeah, so maki follows kind of the same rules as nigiri. Nigiri are also supposed to be eaten in an entire piece. So you eat the, you should eat the nigiri in one, one piece. Uh, same thing with maki rolls. The problem with that is, if you go to Japan and you eat any of this stuff, the size of the rolls or the size of the nigiri is much smaller. The chef knows about the size of the human mouth, the limitations in what it can handle, like comfortably, and so they make sushi accordingly so that when you when you do eat it it doesn't feel like your cheeks are puffing out and you're like how am i ever going to possibly swallow all of this so you can get the chicago roll which has three different types of fish in it plus Uh, avocado plus cucumber (laughs) it's about the size of your fist all the way around and so that's chicago you gotta eat it right Uh, it's rude not to (laughs) it is that's the other it is very true it's rude to leave anything on your plate at the end uh but yes the Ideally, you do eat it in a single bite. Just the problem is most most Western restaurants, especially North American restaurants, have a hard time playing to the right size of how big it should be necessarily. Really? America has a problem with, like, size proportions? Proportion? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, but, I don't uh, know if I believe that. Fact check you. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up on Snopes <laughs> later. Um so we've talked about the soy sauce, we've talked about the wasabi and the, the ginger and the chopsticks themselves. When you're eating these things, like your question asked, you, you should be eating it, uh, like a nigiri should be eaten in a single bite. The maki rolls, ideally, you should be able to do that as well. And uh, with sashimi, the just purely raw fish, it's not on a bed of rice or anything, you use chopsticks. You're not picking up raw fish with your hands and then eating it. You use. You chopsticks. pick up the nigiri with your hands. And nigiri, eat it? you do eat with your hands. That's what that bed of rice mm. is allowing you to do. And so, what about maki rolls? Maki rolls. See, that's the problem with maki rolls is most places that actually care about etiquette, they don't even really touch the maki roll very oh. much because if you're going to a really fine sushi, like a sushi bar, you're going in, you're getting. The, sh- the chef's choice, they're going to just make it up as they go of what they want to give you. You might sit there with the chef and he'll, he or she will ask you maybe some flavor preferences or things like that that you have. But they're going to design the course menu for you. And then they're going to bring you pieces of nigiri and sashimi throughout the, the evening. Mm-hmm. And you're going to eat it that way. Which is a kind of a far, it's very different than most... Americanized sushi restaurants where you sit you down, what you want, you order a bunch of rolls Spicy at the tuna. same time. <laughs> like you order ten rolls for the table, and then you're kind of just picking around at them the whole time. So these etiquette rules, like I said in the beginning, don't feel like you're obligated to follow them, especially if you're not in a really like nice sushi bar. Like no one's gonna get bothered or angry at you if you're in a regular run-of-the-mill sushi place in North America or in America. That people aren't gonna get angered or hot under the collar. But if you go to a really nice sushi bar and you know it's going to be this nigiri and sashimi experience, then these are some of the sorts of rules that are going to make uh, it better for you. You're really going to taste the sushi the way that you should taste it. And it shows a great deal of respect to the restaurant and to the chef at that point in time. And you're making an effort. Exactly. Yeah. Like they're, they're taking this time to hand, literally handcraft these like 
pieces of art that you're about to eat. So the least you can do is kind of sh- you know, show some form of respect back to them. Yeah, show some respect, people. The last thing I want to mention, don't get sushi delivered <laughs> or take it to go. I wanted to make things quick, and I wanted to get the sushi, pick it up, and then bring it back here and eat it. And I was I was scolded. <laughs> Wait, you're, we're not going to eat it there? No, I just figured we'd pick it up. Wait, what? <laughs> no, you have to eat it in, which I didn't realize was a thing. And again, this is really especially the case with nigiri and sashimi, because this is the raw fish that is now being laid out right there for you. Um, and that... Like, the rice has been heated by the chef's hands, and the fish has been heated by their hands to help with the process. Like, the, the fat of the fish gets heated with yeah. just, like, the heat of the palm and everything like that. And so they're going to they're gonna put it down in front of you, and you don't stare at it. You eat it. You pick it up right when the chef hands it to, like, puts down on, in front of you. You pick it up and eat it. And they watch you. And they watch you. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you chew enough. Um, mm-hmm. Eleven chews is proper. It's acceptable number of chews. Um... But, you know, again, with maki rolls, there is raw fish in there. And so you don't, number one, want to chance it necessarily by, like, waiting for however long it's going to get you from point A, from pickup well, to you delivery. pick it up, and then you go in and get some groceries. And you spend about an hour in the grocery right. store. And then you got to go. neighbor. you got to catch up with him. Uh-huh, and then you got to take your dog to the beach because you already have the dog in the car that you left inside. And it's 100 degrees out. Which oh, it's very irresponsible. You very <laughs> irresponsible. I cracked the window. It's okay. But, yeah, that's... Like, with, with sushi, and I mean with any raw food in general, you don't want to, you don't play with fire. Um, so, you know, you have no idea where you're, where you are in the queue for that delivery driver. You don't know when it's going to be there, how long it's going to sit in that car. Um, and especially if you're getting nigiri and sashimi, it is an experience to be had right there at the bar, like, you want these pieces to be delivered to you individually so that you get to taste them one at a time and get an experience with them rather than having a plate full of fish that you're going to eat one piece now and it's going to take you 20 minutes to get to that last piece. That piece is not being served the way that the chef had intended it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Totally makes sense. So those are, not, these, these, are, these are ways for you, hopefully not ways that you feel ob- obliged to follow them, but these are some tips that you can actually use to enhance your sushi eating experience. And maybe get some free sushi. Exactly. Yeah. Get in with the chef, uh, you know, have a conversation about them. How do they get into this? What are the sorts of knives that they use? Like, and you probably can learn a lot more from, like, an actual legitimate sushi chef than us two bozos. <laughs> and like you that's could, true. <laughs> um, no, that's definitely true. <laughs> Uh, and you get to talk to somebody. I think that's that's also a, quite the experience. If you, you can expand your world a little bit and really get to know something about this culture and right. and and the process of making and and cutting sushi, because mm-hmm. obviously we barely talked about the actual preparation. I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but they probably have so much more to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure most of them are happy to talk. They actually, yeah, they really do like talking to you. Yeah. If they're if they're at a, like a nice sushi bar, they're they are passionate about this thing. They have it's a craft for them. Mm-hmm. They and they probably don't get a lot of people who do ask them about stuff. And so, like, to be able to tell somebody who's truly interested in learning. Yeah, a lot of people are intimidated. They don't think you're even allowed to talk to the chef. Uh-huh. Like, why would you talk to the chef? That's crazy. Like, they're clearly doing their thing. But no, you should talk to them. They yeah. like 
the conversation more often than not. Yeah. Um, if they're having a bad day, they'll probably let you know, or you're pretty short and they won't talk to you. <laughs> yeah, don't piss off the guy with a knife, but yeah. otherwise, you'll <laughs> that's be... why there's that shield there. Exactly. The <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, uh, that's pretty much sushi etiquette and a little history of sushi. Uh, so uh, when you play Sushi Go, you'll have a little bit more of an understanding of how to behave. Exactly. These, <laughs> these rascally little sushi. They're just happy to be eaten. Oh, they're, just, they're, they're so happy. They're just so adorable. The dumplings are sleeping. The art for this? It's so cute. Uh, I don't know. We should look into that, though. <laughs> we should. Um, yeah, you got, got anything else? No. That's, that's all I got. I how about I, you? Um, I think I got everything, too. You want to go get some more sushi? That sounds like a great idea. Let's order in. <laughs> <laughs> if you have anything you want to talk to us about or comment on or um, maybe you just want to say hi go ahead and shoot us an email at uh, beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com or if you want to see what we're doing on the interwebs go ahead and send us a tweet at uh, at, at goingbtb um, we're also on Instagram at the same at goingbtb uh, and if you also liked what we did today why don't you uh, hit that subscribe button we always like more um, more people around us because we're lonely. <laughs> Domo arigato. Domo arigato, Mr. Mr. Sushi. <laughs>